The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. Today we continue our spring series of morning devotions led by some of our graduating seniors. And today Kevin Wang is going to bring the word to us. Uh, Kevin anticipates graduating, receiving uh, his Master of Divinity degree. He, uh, while he's studied here, he's interned at Chinese Evangelical Church in San Diego and more recently at Christ Reformed Baptist Church in Vista and uh, also did a summer internship in Taiwan, so a very international experience, and we look forward to hearing the word from Kevin. Well, good morning. It is a great honor to stand here and bring to you God's word for morning devotions. I would like to thank the faculty and staff for preparing us for ministries on the pulpit and for ministries in our callings in other places. Thinking of my three and a half years here, how much I've grown. So thank you. Thank you very much. Today we will be turning to Luke chapter 1. We will be reading verses 46 to 55. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. By way of uh, context and introduction, in the narrative so far, Mary has... It has been revealed to Mary that she will now bear the son of the living God. She will bear the Messiah. And so she goes and visits Elizabeth, someone who might understand a little bit about a miraculous conception. And Elizabeth proclaims a word of blessing upon her, recognizing what great news and revelation God is giving to his people. And so thus Mary breaks out in great praise. Read with me verses 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, will your name be glorified and hallowed by the preaching of your word, and yet, Lord, we anticipate how we will all hallow your name when Christ comes back. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But for now, Lord, sustain us, carry us, help us to remain faithful to you according to your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There are, I, I can recall when I was young, I often identified myself with heroes or characters in stories. Not just characters in stories, but especially for a, a young boy, I identified myself with certain athletes. Why? Because not only were they able to achieve great things, but many times I saw myself, a little bit of myself, in them. Whether it be in stories like the creature in Frankenstein, or, or the tennis player, the Brazilian tennis player, Gustavo Quirton, I related to these people because there were certain aspects that I thought were similar in them and in me. Here, we see that Mary relates herself to a person in the Old Testament, Hannah. How do we know this? Because of the words that she uses. She very clearly draws from Hannah in 1 Samuel. And Mary sees her situation similarly with Hannah's for a variety of reasons. A variety of reasons that we can't go through today. But I would like to introduce this. Because Mary and Hannah see how God is using them for his great redemptive purposes. For his great redemptive purposes. They see their blessedness as we ought to in God's salvation. Because Mary and Hannah see how God is using them for his great redemptive purposes. They see their blessedness as we ought to in God's salvation. Today, this little devotion will be separated into three parts. First, Mary relates herself with Hannah's plight. Secondly, Mary relates herself with Hannah's blessedness. Finally, we will consider the ground, the foundation for all of this, and that is God's promises. So first, Mary relates herself with Hannah's plight. You see, Hannah was a person that was considered cursed. How was she considered cursed? Because a general uh, proclamation of cursedness in her time was barrenness. And we read in the account that Hannah, the Lord had closed her womb, even though she was dearly beloved by her husband. And we read that this was very prevalent to her, not only because societally she was considered cursed, but by Penina as well. It says that Penina used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah, by all accounts, could be described as cursed. But Israel could be viewed similarly as well. Let us think, let's just flip a couple pages beforehand. What do we read in the book of Judges? A common refrain. In fact, it bookends the book of Judges. Man did what was right in his own eyes. And what does this make us think of? This should make us think of Adam. How he decided what was right in his own eyes. Chose not to listen to God's prohibition. And he took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Adam and Eve do? They sinned. They sinned grievously. They rebelled against the Lord. And so the scriptures are telling us Israel did the same thing. And the decline of Israel was immediate. It wasn't a gradual decline. 
Israel did not take the land as God commanded them, and there was not peace. But not only did they not obey God in terms of taking the land, they worshipped the idols of the land. As the scriptures say very explicitly to us, they hoard after other idols. And what is the response of God to this? Well, we read in the covenant in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I, Moses, command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Israel did not obey God and did not even worship God. And so we could very well say that Israel was cursed. And Hannah recognizes this, and she relates her cursedness with Israel. Now let's turn to Mary. Perhaps Mary was not cursed as Hannah was, but she was a young girl barely old enough to be betrothed to Joseph. In the eyes of society, she was of little value. She was a nobody. And what about our cases? We can probably relate to this as students of a seminary. Perhaps when we're in our churches and we visit other churches and we tell them, I'm a student at Westminster Seminary, California, we get people going, oh, wow, wonderful. But I am reminded just yesterday when I got a haircut, the, uh, the, the, the hairstylist asked me, you know, what do you do here in Escondido? And I said, oh, I go to seminary. Huh? What's seminary? And then I tell him, oh, I'm studying theology. And I can see the gears running in his head. And he's trying to be polite. He's like, why would you pay thousands of dollars, give up years of your life to study this? My dear friends, what we do here in seminary, whether teaching or learning or serving, isn't highly valued by our societies. We can look at our social media pages and people buying grand extravagant houses, buying nice cars, living it up in the nightlife. In the eyes of society, maybe these things are valuable. And what are we doing? Burying our heads in books? Preparing to be ministers or helpers in churches that these people despise? So we can relate with Mary somewhat, being of low estate, being of low value in society. But you see, Israel could also be viewed similarly. Israel was indeed the recipient of God's covenant curse. As we all know, they were taken by Babylon. Jerusalem was sacked and they were brought away. They were cursed. But the Lord is faithful to his promises He brought Israel back to Jerusalem by the decree of Cyrus. And yet Jerusalem and the people of Israel waited for 400 years of silence for the return of the son of David. And we can think of the nations surrounding it. Telling Israel, you know, you're you're not a real nation. You're only here because, because Persia let you come here, you know. Your God isn't much of a God because your worship, well, we don't accept it anyway, but, you know, who is he really? You're not a nation. And Israel waited for 400 years, low in the eyes of her neighbors. 
But this isn't the end of the story. Let us transition into the second section. Mary relates herself with Hannah's blessedness. Hannah identified her blessedness of bearing Samuel with the blessedness of Israel. You see, Samuel would be a great savior for Israel. But even more importantly, Samuel would be a figure that would point to Christ. He was indeed a prophet. He spoke and communicated the words of God to his people. And in the official sense, he was a prophet to the king. When the king was anointed, he was a priest, certainly. Not only raised by Eli, but he performed priestly duties after Eli's death. And he was kingly in that he was a judge and administrated God's judgment on the Philistines. In fact, if we read the narratives, we could even say he was the best of judges. And yet Samuel, though he faithfully did the work of God, he would not be the king. He would only be the king anointer. Samuel is not the Christ, the one who would crush the head of the serpent that we anticipated. He would anoint a king. And yes, he anointed David, but even David and his line are not the expected savior. And so we wait. We wait. And now we turn to Mary. Mary identified her blessedness of bearing the Christ with the blessedness of Israel. In verse 48, she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Why does she think this? She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. There are many ways to argue this, but in view here is the great salvation that God will bring through the Messiah to the world and to her. One of the ways we can argue this, one of the ways we can see this is clearly in the text is when she says, he who is mighty, because the word mighty used throughout Jewish literature is used to describe Israel's salvation from Egypt, Israel's deliverance from Egypt. And mighty should give us an idea of God as a great divine warrior, defeating a great enemy. And throughout the prophetic literature, it should be clear to us that this exodus of Israel exiting, coming out of Egypt, will be related to another exodus, a new exodus. One where our hearts will be circumcised. One where we will receive a new heart. In view here, the blessedness that Mary sees is the great salvation that Jesus Christ will bring to his people. And so we enter into our last section. What is the grounds for all this? What is the reason for all of this? It is very clear in the last few stanzas. It is God's promises. God's promises to Abraham. You see, Israel anticipated God's promises to be fulfilled by the son of David. But little did she realize that she would welcome him as a carpenter's son, entering into the holy city, riding a lowly donkey. Little did she realize that he would break her expectations of a paradigmatic, triumphant king wielding a sword. Instead, he would hang on a tree as a common criminal. Little did Israel realize that what Christ did was conquer her greatest enemy, 
sin, and death. And little did Israel realize that true Israel would be the ones who are circumcised of the heart. It is those who believe in the work, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ who would be the true offspring of Abraham. And yet, all of this was prophesied and foretold by the law and the prophets. My dear friends, God is a promise-keeping God, and Mary recognizes this. And she sees that she is now being a part of God's great redemption, promised since Genesis 3.15. And all she can do is say, I am blessed because great and mighty is our God. My dear friends, how can we apply what we have considered today? Well, I will propose one thing. Let us see, as Hannah and Mary did, that though we may be unattractive and perhaps even dishonorable in the eyes of our societies, in the eyes of our cities, in the eyes of our own family members, our blessedness lies not in our accomplishments, not in the eyes of the world's accomplishment, and not even in the eyes of God's accomplishments. Our blessedness lies in Christ, the one who has redeemed us from sin. For we, in our spiritual state, we are like Hannah and Mary. We are cursed and of no value. Our sin left us despicable rebels. And if a mighty king were to come and see treasonous people, he would draw his sword against them. We are unworthy of one drop of mercy from God. And yet it pleased the Lord to save us, to not just give us a drop of his mercy, but to have his son pour out his blood for us. And in doing so, in in rising from the grave, he has earned for us our justification, our right standing with God. He has earned for us our sanctification, that we might be more holy as he desires us to be in our eventual glorification when we will finally return to our heavenly home. My dear friends, when we feel the world's eyes of disapproval towards us and what we do, especially whom we proclaim, let us remember that that our blessedness is in the one who has come and is coming again. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the great reminder that, Lord, we are blessed because of you. And this gives us tremendous freedom, truly, that we don't need to be burdened by the desires of the world and the desires of the flesh. But we can simply, with childlike faith, recognize that our blessedness is in Christ, our Redeemer. And so we can say, and so we can pray, as I've just learned and been reminded of in class, Lord, give us our daily bread, bread that we need daily, but recognizing we cling not to this world. We lift up our eyes to Christ and his coming again. Lord, help us. Lord, strengthen us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California.
All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.